But I will say, I, I do see improvement. How it is difficult for a woman to be uh, sitting in a meeting and really has to make a very strong case for people to hear her out. You may not necessarily see the, 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 the female to male ratio be exactly where you would like it. You know, there is that little bit of uncomfort sometimes when you're at a table and you're a woman, especially a woman of color. Cultural change, technological change, process change, people change, all kinds of change. And a lot of that change was painful to go through, but there were a lot of lessons learned, processes created, mindsets changed as a result of digital transformation. All right. Well, Today we have a special guest, uh, someone who I've met multiple times uh, through my client engagement, someone who definitely stood up, uh, stood out among many. And uh, I thought when it comes to diversity, uh, she will be uh, an incredible person to come in and, and tell us about her journey. Um, she has been doing amazing work in travel and hospitality within the marketing and advertising space. Uh, but also recently, she wrote a very compelling LinkedIn article um, that me and Alex were super moved by. And uh, we wanted to invite uh, Sonia Bani to the show. Hi, Sonia. Welcome. Hi. How are you? We are very excited to have you. We're doing well. How have you been? Thank you. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. I mean, I have been i know we've been keeping in touch and alex you're kind of new in my world but it's so good to meet you guys and it's so refreshing to like keep this conversation going honestly i wrote the article thinking that's it it's out there in the world and hopefully somebody engages but the idea was hopefully somebody um it, it hits home you know with people or a group of people a community and so i'm glad that we're able to kind of keep the conversation going and it's exciting to to be on this with you guys i I agree. Completely agree. Sonia, it would be probably be great for our listeners who, you know, they they cannot see you. They don't know who you are. Uh, I know in the article, you tell a little bit about your life story, uh, but but tell people who have never met Sonia and who, who haven't seen her, um, what's been your, your journey in the U.S., in the corporate world, uh, all the way to um, why you wrote this article. Uh, and what was the article about? Yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit of a loaded question, but it's always something I'm excited to talk about um, because they all go hand in hand, as you know, since you've you've read the article and, and we've known each other as well. Um, but yeah, I'm Sonia Bhavani. Uh, Bhavani is actually my married name. Uh, my maiden name is Sernani. That's what a lot of people know me by. Uh, born and raised in the States, actually, in the South. Um, and, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, specifically in like the Johns Creek area. So a really prominent neighborhood and had some really, really close friends growing up, but I was first generation. So a lot of my friends that I gravitated towards, I would say maybe, you know, around middle school or so, uh, have are people that have the same background as me. I think you start to gravitate towards people like you a little bit later in life. It doesn't quite start right out of the gate when you're in, in, in you know, young childhood. Um, and I'll, I'll touch on that in just a bit, but 
grew up in Atlanta, actually never left. Um, went to college here as well. I went to Emory and got my bachelor's degree. As soon as I graduated, it, there was a massive recession in the States, um, you know, with the financial crisis in, in 2008. So it was tough to get a job, but when I did, I landed up in sales. Um, had ebbs and flows in sales as well, you know, different industries, started in pharmaceutical, went into banking, and honestly just realized it wasn't for me. Um, I had a side hustle going as well. I started my own dance academy. Wow. Um, and it was actually a Bollywood, yeah, Bollywood fusion dance academy, which is, is funny when I think about it now, because it's so much like who I am. You know, I'm Indian, but I'm also American, so I'm fusion. So I named it Notch Fusion. Notch means dance. Um, and, you know, training uh, students of all ages on the, the various forms of dance that I had learned growing up. It was just a big passion of mine. Uh, but I didn't want to take it on full time. You know, I knew there was a lot to grow professionally. So I ended up uh, coming into marketing, which is something I was sort of thinking about as I was in sales. Um, and so to flash forward my career into marketing, um, I started off selling ad space on um, a site that basically was a lot was allowing me to get a little bit of knowledge in like the search engine marketing space. How do ads work on digital marketing and, and what all does it take to put together a compelling marketing campaign? But I was selling it because that's really the only thing that got me in was my sales background. Slowly, I moved into corporate marketing strategy. Um, and obviously, in the world that we're in today, we leverage technology a lot. So a lot of what I've been also doing has been powered by a lot of MarTech solutions at Jerry. We're, that, that's how our roads have kind of collided. And that's how we've met, uh, fortunately. So th that's what I do today. And, and I've been in the travel and hospitality space for the past six years. Actually, a little more than that. Probably around seven no now. No one is counting. Don't worry. Um, I know, I know. It tells you how old I am. <laughs> um, but I guess the, the point is, is it's it's really resonated with me. My husband and I love to travel. We haven't done it in a year now with the pandemic, but we're it. itching to get back out there. Yeah, it's it's tough. But, but being able to sell a product and to talk about marketing a service or a product that we truly believe in is what I'm all about. So I worked with a hotel company. I switched over to an airline. I'm back in the hospitality side of things because hospitality is just really, really close to my heart. I really love the company culture and what I do. So yeah, that's where I am today. And we now have a son who is growing up as a second generation American, mm. um, which funny enough, his name is actually Liam. So he doesn't have a traditional <laughs> Indian name, but something easy that we can all pronounce. <laughs> and yeah, life is kind of just moving along. And honestly, I'm yet to see how it goes because we had him and then the pandemic started. So we truly don't know what it's like to like take your kids out into the real world yet and like hug strangers, but, <laughs> but we'll get there. We'll it's, get there. it's going uphill from here. I think uh, I think things are going to get better to uh, to the to the industry, to so the people. Uh, I'm very very optimistic um, uh, that that things are going to take a good um, turnaround in the in the new year. Um, this is this is really incredible. Um, I, I didn't know you had uh, the Bollywood and the dancing, but now I'm not surprised. Uh, I have to say, uh, do you, is this something you're still doing, or being a mom and a full time is is kind of tough? Yeah, a good question. I, I actually forgot to kind of mention how that journey landed up. So I actually ended up dissolving the company. Um, my brother still gets at me for not like franchising it or selling it to someone because it was doing really, really well. Um, I was only 22 when mm. I started it. Quite frankly, I knew what I was doing. I felt really confident. And it, honestly, it had a huge potential for growth, um, especially in the Atlanta market where, you know, the, the, the dance business was very, I, I want to say it was, it was solid, strong, but it was limited. So the, the people who are out there doing it are solid um, and talented 
teachers and instructors um, and have a strong foundation. It's just, there weren't as many of them. And so, and then also being fusion, like literally I'd have one dance where you'd be doing Indian classical dance steps as well as ballet all fused together. Um, It was just something different that no one else was really offering. The reason why I dissolved it was being that young, I felt like I needed to really just brush up myself as a professional. And there's so much more to learn. And um, I also did move out of Atlanta for one year. So I lied. I haven't been Atlanta the entire time. But for one short year, I moved out when I got married because my husband used to live there. So one was the relocating aspect of it. But the main aspect was if I can start a business this young, I think I'll be able to do it down the line when I um, have a lot more of that background under my belt, such as, you know, public speaking, uh, to be able to address my clients professionally, because let's face it, you know, when you're 22, you're still really raw and you're learning about it. Um, And also just like managing my finances. A lot of the times I'd be like, you know what, I'm going to offer free classes because I love doing this stuff. My dad's like, you can't do that. You can't, you got to charge your customers. Come on. And so, and I wasn't doing it for the money. I wasn't even thinking about profits. I wasn't thinking about it long-term. I was just doing it because it was a passion. It was a hobby. So I figured, you know, if I can do this more successfully and more professionally down the line, I'll do it again. Um, But yeah, and and it's also, you know, when you start working in a more corporate environment and you start to move up the rungs in, um, in, in, in your growth within a company, it starts eating up a lot of your time and you really have to just like pick and choose your priorities. And this was one of those things where it just sucks up your Saturdays and Sundays. So I said, I need my weekend. I work for a travel company. Come on. I get like all these discounts. Let's travel. Let's use the weekend to like go somewhere. So all those reasons combined, I figured we'll, we'll revisit maybe down the line. I'm not there yet, but hopefully sometime soon we can start a business again. That's awesome. I have to say at the age of 22 for you to make such a decision um, is, is very impressive. At age of 22, I, you do not want to know what I was planning in the world, but that, that's great. Um, so, so let's, let's get to, um, to the meat of the, of the discussion. Uh, given that we, one of the reasons I, I wanted to bring you on the show, um, is because, uh, I work, you know, we all work in the space, uh, of marketing and creativity and data centric, um, but it's also a space where we still struggle to see diversity in the space. And um, with everything that's happening this year, uh, we as professionals, as humans, um, we feel that we we need to understand why that's the case. And not only understand that, but know how to do better. Uh, I think part of our um, theme for season one is digital marketing needs to do better. And I think part of it is to do better in having more diversity, more support uh, to women and people of color within the industry. So that being said, your article discussed more around the corporate culture and being an outsider, feeling as an outsider within the corporate culture. Um, let's start there. Like, what, what? Why did you feel compelled to write that article? And what were your hopes as an outcome? Because I, I feel like it did get attention. A lot of people were uh, expressing, like, I, I am with you. I feel the same thing as you are. People who haven't felt like didn't need to say something, but when they saw it, they felt they need to. Uh, so tell us more about the article and, and why you felt that that was the right time for something like this to come out. Yeah, I think you hit all the right points, uh, Jerry. It is... It's a, it's a it's a tough balance, I think. And it also depends on like where you work because some people will say, well, I don't have that issue. You know, like the entire C-suite is women. 
or maybe the company is founded by a woman, or maybe it's not, and they've just had so many movements internally and have such a done such a good job at evolving to making sure that women or people of color or immigrants have the right resources at the tip of their fingertips. Meanwhile, you have other companies where you don't see that at all. You know, the entire board of directors, the entire C-suite, the CEO himself, it's all white males. And it's like the complete opposite. Are they talking about it? Absolutely. I think they understand that. They're aware of that. It just so happens that that's just the way it's set up. So I will say one thing. I know that a lot of the times we talk about um, how companies are designed, how they're set up, and and what we see around us is not necessarily ideal. But I will say I, I do see improvement. You know, and I and I want to stay optimistic about it because the fact that um, and it, it comes all the way back down to the point that the fact that I even wrote that article and people are chiming in and that there's even a dialogue to begin with. And I think let's take it even 10 steps back from there. The fact that there's a platform for me to even post that article, you know, all of this is allowing us to open up our voices, put the microphone on and start talking about our experiences, no matter how embarrassing it is, no matter how raw it is, no matter how emotionally triggering it is. And or how traumatic it is, I think more and more people are slowly opening up. And literally, I've seen this happen, I want to say like the last maybe five years, if not like three years, you know, like it's very, very recent. But I think all of these little tiny nuances are helping us get to a point where the more we are ourselves, the more we are authentic, the more we are sharing struggles and not only the positive side of things or just looking around us and saying, well, you know, my entire company is like this and I'm a minority and I'm just going to deal with it. That, that doesn't fly anymore, you know, and especially when you look at um, certain positions, right? Like in, in companies, you look at, you know, analytical roles or um, technology roles, like you right, rightfully mentioned, um, and, and even some aspects of digital marketing, which is which is what I observe day in, day out. You may not necessarily see the, the 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 female to male ratio be exactly where you would like it. You know, there is that little bit of uncomfort sometimes when you're at a table and you're a woman, especially a woman of color. Um, but the fact that there's more ears to listen to your stories now and the fact that you can kind of tell that without feeling embarrassed or shy is, I think, a step in the right direction. I will say growing up, that wasn't the case. And, and mix it up with being a teenager who's already so anxious about the world around you, you know, and then layer that on top of there not being diversity as much as there is today. And I'm talking about like the early 90s, right? Um, you couldn't just say, yeah, I had, and my Indian folks will might relate to this, but like I had dal chawal for dinner last night. That's why I'm eating it as leftovers in the cafeteria. Can't say that. So embarrassed to even eat wow. your lunch, open your lunchbox, you know? And that's just one little example, but it was like, it would come up like 10 times in the day where I'd feel embarrassed to talk about my culture. Because I feel like someone's going to laugh at me. And they did, you know. So I think with all that said, I think we're moving in the right direction. Is there room for improvement? Absolutely. And the reason why I wrote my article now, even though I'm, I'm saying out loud that we're all doing the right things, is because there still is, you know, room for, for growth. And I think a lot of that lies within us now as women, as people of color. There's only so much that we can expect out of someone who, who doesn't quite know our background, right? We can't expect every man in the office to, to know what it's like to be a woman. We can't understand, we can't have every, you know, Caucasian person understand what it's like to grow up in this country and having to explain everything to your parents because they don't get it, you know? Right. Why are you learning something in school? Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to date boys? None of these things were things that my parents grew up with. And so we can't, I think we, we have to take the onus upon ourselves to share our stories 
to feel confident enough to, to share our struggles um, because people are generally curious. And I'll tell you one thing, I think now with, with a lot of the diversity that we see, I feel like when I share a story, it sounds very normal to me. But when I compare the stories with like peers who may not have necessarily have lived it, I'm like, I actually have a pretty cool life. I have a pretty interesting background. And these people are so shocked that like I did something, you know, <laughs> or that I wear, we wear a certain type of outfit at Indian weddings or the fact that I even had an Indian wedding. Um, and, and little nuances like that in my culture are so, um, so mind blowing for other people that they want to learn more. They're like, whoa, that's so cool. I've been to an Indian wedding before. Or I have a friend who's, whose name is so-and-so and I finally know how to pronounce it. You know, there's, I get that kind of feedback now, whereas I didn't quite get that before. Yes, there are people who still moan and groan at that, who sigh at that, who judge that. But that that part of the world just going to have to understand that this is a diverse and globalized world that we live in now. And if we stop sharing our stories, we're going to foster that kind of that kind of behavior. So be authentically yourself is is how I feel like I need to, to be. And that's why I wrote that article. And honestly, I think also not being in the office for like the past nine months made me realize how much I miss it. <laughs> and like <laughs> there's like weird nuances that happen in the office that I, I it's almost like the opposite reaction. I thrive off of it. I love talking about my background. I love when people don't understand what I'm talking about. Sonia, in your article, you talk about how uh, working in the hospitality industry, you notice around you that that it's very diverse because you're, the hospitality company is serving a global, diverse, culturally diverse audience. And therefore, the people working there, the marketing campaigns, everything is already diverse because of that. And I was going to ask you to talk about, well, what could other companies take as lessons from that? But you've just taught me that I believe there's a correlation between how diverse an organization is and the diversity of the audience whom it serves, the market that it's serving. If, if a company is serving a diverse audience, it's probably going to be a diverse company. If a company is serving a very narrow market and audience, then they're probably not going to be as diverse. Um, how, how do you think we could help other companies who might not be already able to be so diverse, like a hospitality co- you know, company that's serving a global market, uh, how could we teach these companies to be thinking more broadly about different cultures, different people, uh, different audiences than the one that they predominantly may serve and therefore don't have as much deserve it, d- diversity as a result? Absolutely. I think that's such a great point that you bring up, because if we're going to talk to a globalized audience, we need to understand how to talk to them. You know, when we go to another country and we plan this trip to like, you know, say Italy, you know, I'm already sometimes I'm Googling like common phrases and common words that they say in that country. I'm learning about their food. I'm learning about some of the etiquette. I do some of this research, you know, before we go, because you want to a you want to be able to fully immerse and enjoy yourself and really feel like you're in another country. But I think more importantly, you also want to make sure you're respecting that culture as well. And you're not going to upset anybody. Um, or, or land up in trouble. So I think it's the same. If you look at the, when we travel, we do the same thing. It's the same thing when you're a company and you're trying to speak to that audience. So the, the one thing I would say to encourage that, um, Alex, to your point is, you know, every company I think needs a, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of companies listening to this will say we already do, but it, it helps to have like a consumer insights team where you're understanding your audience, not just the way they purchase, but the, and the way that they, you know, go through, 
the purchase funnel in general um, and, and where they're clicking and, and where they're, you know, what, what pages are they spending the most time on? Because that, as digital marketers, that's what we look at. But also who they are. What are their personalities? What are their interests? What language do they speak? Do they even use these platforms that we're advertising or marketing on? Um, because I think the question that you're more centered around it is more to do with the way we market ourselves. So my answer is a little bit more marketing focused. But I think at the end of the day, you know, the entire company has to think that way because that's really their only external communication to the world is through marketing, which is why I find it so impactful. It's our way of speaking to people that we don't know. It's a way of reaching people that you wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. But you have to understand who they are and you have to understand what resonates with them. Um, you know, the last thing you want is a PR crisis on your hand where you say, you know, we got to we got to do a campaign in, say, China. And you put out an ad out there that that pisses everyone off because you said something that is actually very offensive in their language. And I see we've that seen it actually happen many times. Like, I remember at some yeah. point. Wasn't there like something where in China, but they used a picture from Hong Kong or something like some ads that were completely yeah tone deaf. And yeah, these are things, it's indicators that people are not paying full attention to that. You're right. Yeah. And it, it really can hurt a company. And, and so I think if you, if you even think about it from that lens, it's not just, you know, we want to be the best company because we're, we know how to be globalized, but it's even if as a defense mechanism, can you at least have that so that you can protect yourself in the long run? And what that takes is a diverse audience. Most of the people, whenever I'm working with any marketing in the United States, of course, too, but definitely outside of the United States, it's always someone of color. It's always someone that either already lives in that country or someone I can tap on the shoulder internally at my office that's probably not from here, that can translate an ad for me, that can tell me if something really makes sense or not. Um, and it doesn't even have to be a marketing person. I remember um, at the company that I'm with now, but back before I had left, I had tapped a, a, a friend on the shoulder. She was originally from China. She was not even in marketing. She was in finance. Okay. She has no idea what, what I'm even working on. But I said, hey, listen, I really need you to help me word this so that it resonates with an audience that you're very familiar with. Please help me. And we were able to kind of hold hands and partner through it. And I'm so glad we did that because it changed everything. It changed the ad copy. Wow. It changed the targeting. It even changed the timing when we launched it because she's like, you know, there's Chinese New Year going on right now. Like no one's going to look at this. Um, maybe other things that people tend to purchase during that time. But for this specific, specifically, you might want to wait. Um, also, inventory is really expensive right now in China because of that. Things like that. Um, and it was good to kind of get that perspective. And had she not been an employee of the company, had she not been a resource for me, whether I was a minority or not, um, that wouldn't have happened. And we would have had this like super inefficient advertising being promoted. And, and we're probably thinking it's working just fine when in reality. Right. You would even know that it wasn't performing why it wasn't. Yeah. Mm, that's really interesting. And we've talked about this this before. There's strength in diversity. We, we recognize that. We know diverse environments, di diverse anything is stronger. 100%. 100%. Because I think in, in any dialogue that you're having, you know, you always want more perspectives. When, when at a company, when we're making a, a decision, okay, this is putting diversity aside. But if we're making a decision, you bring everyone to the table, right? You, you weigh out the pros and cons. Someone will say, well, from a finance perspective, this doesn't make sense. Someone in IT will say, well, technologically, we can't even do that. And here's the cost associated if you ever do. Here's a timeline. Not possible. Or it is very possible. Um, and you have someone in marketing saying, well, we've already got this going on. We can't put another message out there. If this is more important, we've got to shut off media. Um, you always have all these different 
perspectives. I think the same thing is, is the case when you're trying to make a decision around, you know, multicultural marketing or multicultural anything, you've got to have diversity. And it's not just cultures. I think even when you have, um, you know, different backgrounds, right? Like where you grew up, where you're coming from, whether you're a male or a female, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, nowadays you see companies going out there with like lots of political statements, um, you know, talking about gender equality, talking about, you know, where you stand in terms of uh, marriage equality. And if you're going to talk, if you're going to put a pride campaign out there, you gotta, you gotta consult with someone on, on the team that, may not necessarily be straight. You know, is this offensive to folks that are like you? We need your perspective. You know, everyone does a pride campaign now. It's such a normal thing. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, there's there's people on making those decisions on the table that um, that, that already resonates with and they're having a voice in, in, in how we and how anybody's really putting out their messaging. So absolutely, diversity plays a huge role. You know, one thing that you mentioned and, and I... I can relate that that's something I've I've witnessed is that um, we are we're definitely a different generation than our parents. Um, you know, I I think you and I have something in common where um, I am first generation uh, Lebanese American. Uh, I wasn't born here, but I've been here for for a while. And my wife is is probably very similar uh, like you, where her parents are both. Um, uh, moved, migrated to the U.S. back in the 80s. She was born here, raised here, but she is as Lebanese, as American as, as she can be. And she's also in a professional corporate world. So when I was reading your article, I really start, kept thinking about my wife uh, because early on, as I was starting my career, I I have to, to say this that I'm not proud of, but I did I did feel like I was in a in a man's world, right? Like everyone around me who's my managers are men, my the CEO is man, whether they're white or of color, but it was like a more men thing. Like you watch Mad Men, it's a man's world, right? And as my my career and my wife, we both started expanding in our careers, I started seeing and hearing from her things where I actually started learning from, like how it is difficult for a woman to be uh, sitting in a meeting and really has to make a very strong case for people to hear her out, or in many cases, everyone around her is men, and she it she needs the extra effort for them to see it their, her way without saying, well, she's emotional or she's not thinking right. She's she's a mom. End of the day, um, I I feel I learned a lot, and I'm not not enough. Uh, but what I struggle with, and I'm hoping you can maybe shed some light to this, is that how do men and husbands uh, who are seeing, supporting their wives and seeing things at home, but they want to bring this more into work? Like, I want to support my my team. I have women on my team that I want them to become super successful and be very uh, doing amazing things. But... But how do I do it the right way? What what can I give them opportunities or or be the person? Maybe sometimes I just need to be there available. Like maybe let them do their thing. Like sometimes it's hard to know where is the line where I am not overstepping yeah. versus where I'm completely out of touch. Would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, first off, your wife and I need to be friends because I think we have the exact same background. <laughs> <laughs> I think as, so. As women, as colleagues, and as 
you know, people who have tried to navigate through this culture, you know, our whole lives, and we're still doing it. And, and that's that's the reality. And not even if you're a first generation American or or even an actual immigrant like yourself, but even if you're you know a white woman, it's still you're a woman. And and it's 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 difficult to kind of sometimes put it into words when we're talking to, um, like you said, our male colleagues or our husbands, because in a lot of cases they get it. You know, I think you you got it. But there are still some instances that you really, truly don't quite understand unless you're a woman. So I think your, your question is great. Um, and I'm so, I so, so appreciate you asking that because I wish I, I could hear this a little bit more. Um, but I will say one of the things that has um, helped me through my career is, and I, I, for lack of better words, I guess, thinking like a man. You know, some, something that I've noticed by taking a step back is that men are, are very resilient, you know, to judgment, to, and, and this is just the general population. I'm not saying every single man is like this, because of course. I, I'm very excited to hear <laughs> where this goes. Yeah. Thinking like a man. I, this is a movie. I love it. Continue. Yeah. And I think, and not really, I wouldn't say like thinking like man, but I, I guess um, trying to, to steal some of the attributes that could really work to our advantage. One is you guys are very resi resilient, regardless of what culture you come from. I think men are just um, in general, at least the ones that I'm surrounded with, again, I'm not speaking for all men, but they tend to forgive and forget easily, right? A. B, um, I think they also tend to stay more true to themselves. You know, you don't necessarily, men don't necessarily, I think as much as women sometimes feel like they need to mold themselves into something else just to fit in. Um, I know a lot of men that have done that. I know I have tried to do that, you know, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying for the general population, but I do notice that sometimes. And I think um, men are good at kind of staying authentic in their true selves. And I think that that's a feature, that's a quality that's really helped me. Um, and I talk about that a little bit in my article, like, how do you do that, right? When we're talking to somebody and someone says something, they reference something and you don't understand it. I think a lot of the times we're like, okay, and we just nod our head, we kind of go with the flow. But that's a form of molding yourself into someone that the other person wants you to be, right? Whether it's an idea at the table for work, whether it's just a casual conversation about sports, whatever it is, right? We tend to kind of sometimes do that. But then there's some people who I've learned these qualities from that'll say, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Like, explain that to me. What, what does that even mean? Mm. And you have to be open to that potential judgment. Someone might turn around and say, well, I'm, I'm happy to tell you. I'll tell you what this means. Others might say, what? You never heard of that? You, you never heard of that before? And it, as, as silly as it sounds to that person, it's actually very belittling. You know, it feels like, well, next time I don't know anything, I'm not just going to ask for advice because they're going to think I'm stupid or they're going to think I, I mm. don't have, you know, general knowledge about something. When in reality, I have all this knowledge about my culture that they've never been exposed to. So in some sense, I'm, I probably have more general knowledge than that person. I just don't happen to yeah. know this one thing. And so... Again, I think it's being authentic. And I know it sounds cliche, but when we try to mold ourselves into other people or when we try to be someone that we're not, it's very temporary. It's it's in that moment. And it's only for that one instance. Then we get faced with something bad. We go through some sort of adversity in our life. We go through ups and downs or we get faced with something really great. We don't know how to handle it then, right? You can't go be that fake person and that person that this society has molded you in to handle that situation. The only thing that can get you through a tough time or even a really good time is yourself. And so something that's mm. really helped me get through really anything is just to be myself. And if you're going to judge me, fine, judge me. But I think it, it does, 
it makes us tougher. It's hard and it's, it's easy to say, you know, go be yourself. But if we start kind of practicing it in our daily lives with conversations that we have with whenever we're sitting at a table with a bunch of men. And yes, if you're emo- if you're if your decision or your recommendation is emotionally driven, put it out there, you know, because that's something you bring to the table that they don't. And at the end of the day, the worst that can happen is it's discounted or the worst that can happen is it's turned away. But at least you, you contributed and at least you said something. And later on down the line, when they need something and they need to tap into your emotions, because in marketing, it happens a lot. And you won't see it, but they're like, how is this going to resonate with someone? Help us with messaging or whatever. That's when the emotions come in. And that's when, I, you know, you, women sometimes are stronger at that because we're able to make decisions with all sorts of things, with facts, um, with emotions, with, with really anything. Um, so I would say the number one thing is for men to really encourage your spouses, your sisters, your moms, your daughters to just be yourself, be yourself. And that's going to make us stronger, especially if we're getting validation from, from a very close male, um, figure in our lives. This is, uh, I, I love that you said that being yourself, because actually that's one of the things, um, my wife, told me early on uh, that I I was like, this is silly. I mean, of course you're gonna be yourself. Like, why wouldn't you be? You're successful, you're smart, like, why wouldn't you? But then um, it is, in many cases, it might be easier to be, to take that back seat or be like, I really don't wanna be involved in this conversation because I don't wanna give them the perception of this. And, but that doesn't work. I, I I think she also have seen that being herself is is what get got her to where she is and and that's something she want to continue to do. So I, I think that's an incredible advice. I really like that. Thank you. So um, now you wrote an article. Article got some great feedback. Um, what's next for you? Are you are we gonna expect a, a book? Uh, is there uh, magazines? I mean, you obviously um, a great presenter, you, uh, you articulated things in a way that people across, you know, the industries and men and women, uh, white and of color resonated with. Um, I don't think you need to stop like what you should do more. Wow. Thanks, Jerry. That's like very flattering. <laughs> I'll, I won't lie. I have not thought about what's next, to be quite frank with you. I'm actually writing is actually not even my strong suit. Neither is reading. Like I just never like to read. <laughs> so to, for me to write a book and have other people read it would just. Audiobooks are the best. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think th- there is a space opening up now, like a vertical now for, um, you know, women of color sharing our stories, especially as, again, like I said, the world is becoming more globalized. <clears throat> you see more more color in America now. You see more color in lots of other North American countries and European countries. Uh, likewise, you see more diversity in, in other, you know, countries where typically there wasn't as much diversity. So I think people are all sharing stories all across the world. And there is um, opportunity to share something that's a little bit more niche, which is like, what is it like to grow up as a first generation American? Oh, and by the way, you're also a woman. And by the way, you're also colored. So someone just looking at you could automatically see that you're very different. Um, yeah, there, there is definitely opportunity to share stories there. But have I thought about what's next? Not really in this space, but I do want to keep the conversation going in whatever form or fashion that is, because um, I think it's important. And I think it resonated with the people who had a similar background as me, but it resonated even more with the people who generally don't tend to read these type of stories. Because when you have a book on a shelf or when you have a magazine 
it, it's very unlikely that you're going to reach out to something that's not that doesn't resonate with you, right? Like I'm not going to go read a book that I'm not interested in, um, or it, this, the story is not going to really, you know, hit home just based on the title, right? If I'm looking, if I'm judging a book by its cover, which I know we all do sometimes, but if you know, this is a good avenue. Uh, LinkedIn to start with was a good avenue to get out there in front of my colleagues, people I've worked with in the past, um, just to share and give them a little insight of of what it's like to work alongside them and how I have been successful with them and also in, in some cases because of them. So I don't think it's always we're different and we're always just trying to figure it out on our own. I think I've taken and learned a lot of qualities from people who don't have the same background as me. Um, like the the qualities I was sharing earlier about just being resilient and being authentic, you know, that, that kind of confidence um, has come from from the audience that doesn't necessarily have to deal with the things that I have to deal with on a daily basis. So, Sonia, I've been thinking about the lessons that companies have learned over the last 10, 15 years going through digital transformation. Digital transformation has caused a lot of change in business, um, cultural change, technological change, process change, people change, all kinds of change. And a lot of that change was painful to go through, but there were a lot of lessons learned, processes created, mindsets changed as a result of digital transformation in corporations. And what I'm wondering is, is there an opportunity to kind of fast follow with with diversity change uh, in, in organizations to take advantage of all of what they've just kind of gone through and learned about change because of digital and say, well, look, you're really familiar with this change now. Let's continue. Let's continue the momentum and let's tackle change about diversity. Um, what do you think about how companies might react to that? Absolutely. I think that's actually such a good point that you bring up, Alex, because, you know, digital transformation is, is probably the biggest thing that we, it's the biggest like evolution that we've had in, our, in a long time. Right. And you and I have lived through it. I think we are all old enough to even compare it to what it was before the digital transformation. So we really do see the benefits of those change, um, of, of that change. And also sometimes the downsides, right? Like there are certain things that like our kids are just never going to get to do because everything is digital. Um, and we did things sometimes a harder way, but it was also sometimes a better way, you know? Um, so I think, yes, that's such a good c comparison because there is a lot of room to grow, you know, on the diversity side of things. One thing that I think we learned from the digital transformation, if nothing else, is that it came, it didn't come out of nowhere because I think everybody sort of, you know, back in like the 90s, my dad was actually um, one of the, the the key change makers, you can say, in the world of IT, um, just always, you know, developing new products, strategizing new ways for people to stay connected or devices to stay connected with people, um, you know, just in, in, in the world that he's he's been in with, you know, the Internet of Things. So I think that that it, it didn't come out of nowhere for sure, but it also came extremely fast and it came furious because you really quickly realize, well, there's efficiencies, there's cost savings, there is, you know, not the need to have so many people because the machines can take care of so many things, right? And um, and and quicker, right? Like for customers, it's it's better now. I could talk to someone, I think I'm talking to somebody for 30 minutes, but it's actually sometimes a robot, depending on like you know what company you're you're getting your customer service from. There's so many ways that this has benefited the world um, that I think diversity is almost the same way, right? Like when you have a diverse audience, you're not only getting perspectives and and other you know, groups of people to chime in on different angles of, of looking at things like the way we talked about earlier. But um, I guess 
the facts that, that we may not even necessarily have to keep change moving along in a company and to grow in a company. You know, there's a lot of global companies now that, that never used to be global. And it's safe to say that a lot of that growth comes from having allies in different countries or hiring on the right people to make the right decisions. Um, and all that speaks to how the diversity is extremely, extremely powerful. And it needs to happen quick. It needs to happen fast. We can't have it be a slow change um, for, for one of two reasons. One, for the benefit of the company, but also two, to, to give diverse individuals really a chance to grow. You know, this goes back to us looking up sometimes in companies and not seeing as many women in leadership positions. I think if we if we give more diverse audiences a chance, I think the, the possibilities are endless in terms of what somebody or what a company can achieve. That, that's amazing. I actually never saw it in this type of connection, but this makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, Alex, great neither question. did I. Honestly, when, when Alex brought that up, I was like, that is such a good way to look at that. That's why we have him here, the guy with <laughs> the best analogies. Well, Sonia, this has been uh, amazing. Thank you so much uh, for coming on today. Uh, I think uh, your advice and your story is going to be inspiring for a lot of us here and our listeners. Um, one last thing, uh, you're going to have to share with me some of these Bollywood videos and dancing something. Um, <laughs> just I need to know what, what was going on. Uh, Let's do it. Yes, yes. Maybe if you do a virtual class in the future, maybe uh, me and Alex will bring our wives. Maybe we'll, we'll, uh, we'll join in. Absolutely. I would be more than happy to. And I won't even charge you guys. My dad's going to get mad <laughs> at me, but I won't charge you guys. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. It was so good speaking to you. Sonia, it's a great joy. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you guys for having me. Very proud to be doing this podcast for all of our listeners. We hope you find this valuable. We hope you subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a review on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Music is by yours truly, Jane H. Sound design and mixing is by Sir Hanks a lot. For more info, check us out at you might like this, that one. <laughs>